You are listening to the SUSNet podcast by the Swedish South Asian Studies Network. Welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm Hanna Geshevsky. Two weeks ago, I spoke to Dr. Samir Mani Dixit from Nepal to understand how the country has been affected by the coronavirus pandemic so far. Today, I'd like to focus a bit more on the impacts of COVID-19 on the Nepali economy and the formal and informal labor market. For that, I recently talked to two experts from Nepal. The first one is Dr. Achyut Wagle. He is a professor at the Kathmandu University School of Management and holds a PhD in economics. He has numerous publications in national and international journals and is also an eco-political analyst who writes a weekly column in the Kathmandu Post, Kantipo Daily, which is Nepal's largest media and publication house. I also spoke to Dr. Jeevan Banya, who is the assistant director at Social Science Baha, a research organization based in Kathmandu. He did his PhD in political science from University of Oslo, and he's been involved in research and teaching on issues related to labor and migration, governance, democracy, state-society relations, disasters, among others. So, getting started. While only a handful of COVID-19 cases were confirmed in Nepal by early April, the number has now risen to 75. Most of them are reported in districts near or along the Indian border. Since 24th of March, so for the past six weeks, the country has been under a nationwide lockdown, with all non-essential businesses, government offices, schools and other facilities shut, and the only international airport of the country closed down. The lockdown has been extended several times and is now scheduled to end on 7th of May, which is this week, although the chances of another extension seem very high. So I first wanted to find out from Dr. Atchud Wagle how the pandemic, and even more so the measures taken by the Nepali government to slow down the spread of the virus, are affecting the Nepali economy. There are five or six very basic characteristics of Nepali economy which are only specific to Nepal. For example, we are very heavily uh, remittance-dependent economy. Uh, we have a very huge number of people going abroad for employment. So it has got double impact. So when those um, migrant employees are laid off by the hiring companies abroad, that is going to have a huge uh, employment crisis when they come back, apart from the potential agents they, they can become for transmission. And the greatest impact will be on the uh, foreign currency earning, which used to come as remittance to the country. So this is first character cities. Second character cities, uh, we have a very big tourism industry, uh, even if not in terms of uh, real income in terms of the cash, but in terms of uh, employment generation going to the grassroots level. We have got the homestay system, trekking. Uh, mountaineering and so many aspects of tourism that is uh, completely uh, closed so that is the second hit nepal economy is going to bear the third characteristic is our economy is very heavily import dependent if you look at the last year's figure we imported about 16 billion us dollar equivalent of the goods and we only exported about uh, 900 million so it is one is to 16 export import ratio. So when the the main uh, trade partners of Nepal like India and China are also facing a lockdown, they particularly India, our biggest economic partner, trade partner, 
uh, which we have got almost two thirds of economic and trade dependence that is completely locked down. So on the one hand, the possibilities of import is going to be impacted. And the, another very interesting um, phenomena of this import-based economy is that we are financing this deficit trade through the income of the migrant workers' remittances. When that income, foreign currency earning is dried out, and when the foreign currency earning from the tourism is also dried out, Nepal is going to face a huge balance of payment crisis in a very near term. At present, the government is saying we have got a foreign currency reserve of enough for the import of, say, eight months. But that is not very long time when you need to manage the pandemic and probably need to import a lot of costly equipments to control and contain the coronavirus. So when there is no earning continued, we may face a very huge crisis. This is a third aspect of being import-dependent economy. Fourth aspect is the urban economy. Due to the pandemic, the uh, people like to call in Western countries the gig economy. We don't have much of a gig economy, but there is a huge immigrants flow from villages to cities for casual work, labor work, semi-skilled work. That workforce has gone back to the villages. And then the factories, uh, the possibilities of factories and other uh, service providing is uh, slim. And to restart the economy is going to be a problem. That is the fourth part. And fifth part, we are a very large dependence on the subsistence kind of agriculture. So that is the situation. As Dr. Wagler mentioned, some of these impacts will only unfold in the next few months. And only then we'll see to what extent Nepal will be hit by an economic crisis. But in the informal sector, the direct effects of the lockdown are already being felt, as Dr. Jiwan Banya points out. You can already see some uh, manifestations of the impact in the uh, labor market, especially in the sector of informal economy, uh, where more than you know 90% uh, of Nepalese are holding jobs. They are not protected by the insurance. They don't have social security coverage. And there is no any system to monitor what's going on about their job, salary, and things like that. We just have uh, three around 3% uh, formal sector where people are employed. So maybe they are relatively better protected. But in the other sectors, um, there has been huge cut in the number of employments. Some of the industry sectors and the service sectors and um, also uh, tourism sector have been uh, hit hard. So uh, the workers have been laid off and then there has been pay cuts. And they're facing problems with accommodation, food and things like that. And you can clearly see that even these uh, employers in the private sectors, they, they are not in a situation to hold uh, the workers for a long time. On the other hand, the trade unions are also engaged with governments to come up with certain kind of plans. But seems like nothing substantial has come up yet. So there is sort of a precarity going on. These mass layoffs quickly stripped thousands of informal workers, especially in the urban centers of Nepal, of their livelihoods. And since they no longer had an income source to pay for food and rent, they had no choice but to return to their villages. But as all public transport was suspended, even this proved to be a great challenge. If you have you know, followed uh, some of the news um, in the recent days, especially around uh, 
the time that uh, the government of Nepal had uh, declared the lockdowns, there was kind of caravans of people trying to leave uh, major cities of Nepal, especially Kathmandu and some of the uh, major cities of the country. And they're traveling even when they couldn't catch the transportation on time. They are even walking for four or five days and 400 to 500 kilometers in order to reach their homes where they they feel safer, protected somehow, because they will have some kind of community support, they assume, compared to here in their cities where they don't see any agency uh, or the support mechanism for them to stay longer. And so that tells us that large number of these people's internal migrants, um, they are not protected from their job, not to mention uh, even about their basic rights to be protected. In addition to the labor market perspective, Dr. Wagler adds that short-term economic effects due to the lockdown manifest themselves in two major ways. In the third run, uh, there will be two-fold impact. One is on the real economy and another in the financial sector. In the real economy, since the factories are closed and then apart from some agricultural products, vegetables are flowing into the cities, all other economic activities are on hold. So the immediate priority should be maintaining the supply chain of the essential product. That is going to be a big challenge because it is not only we are not going to have enough supply due to the border closure with India and of course China. And then the internal closure of the border across the different administrative units, but also due to the lack of confidence in the consumers to buy from the market. They are not sure whether they are the vegetable they are buying, the food they are buying, the plastic bags they are using is free of this virus. So the first challenge is to re-energize the confidence of the consumers. So that will keep the wheel of the um, economic engine rolling. That is one part. And the, in, in the immediate, the government must uh, have to recalibrate its budget depending on its available resources. We say for now, uh, since other development works are not going ahead, it has enough resources to address the needs of the uh, coronavirus pandemic control and contain. So on the financial side, the government has at the policy level announced some kind of reliefs for the mortgage payers on the payment of principal and interest in the banks. But that is only at the policy level. The government is yet to announce any concrete stimulus package enterprises are going to face a situation of closure and probably many of them or several thousands of them may not be able to revive um, uh, the, their, their businesses after this. While Dr. Wagler goes on to mention possible changes in macroeconomic variables as the exchange rate, the availability of workforce in the poly industry and the willingness of entrepreneurs to take out new loans, he underlines one thing. Agriculture remains a major pillar of the Nepali economy. Still, our main employer is the agriculture. The government statistics shows that the, about 67% of the employment is still generated by the agriculture, although its contribution to GDP has um, drastically reduced to 20-22%, but it is the largest employer in the economy. Now, the, the people who had become new city dwellers have gone back to the village. 
if we can provide agricultural inputs like seeds, feed to the poultry, and then the other necessary inputs like the pesticides for the agriculture, it also has got the great potential to bounce back even in the short term, like in two, three months' time. But that requires a huge amount of management and serious planning on the part of the government. That is the part which is which I think is lacking. There is a general kind of psyche. Everything would be fine when this lockdown is lifted, which is not going to be the case. Particularly, the relapse of the situation looms always large, like it happened in Singapore or in other country when at one go it seemed to have been contained. But again, there are sort of silent kind of existence of virus in the community is relapsing. Although the one-and-a-half-month lockdown probably played a major role in preventing the rapid domestic spread of the coronavirus in Nepal, it has already had a major impact on the Nepali economy and on people's livelihoods. As Dr. Wagler mentioned, high hopes of the Nepali people lie in the end of the lockdown. But one can assume that simply lifting the lockdown will not bring things back to where they were pre-corona. So I asked Dr. Wagler how the government has intervened so far, and what measures it has already taken to support various stakeholders of the Nepali economy. One thing, uh, the government has so far announced only few policies, like uh, it has said the payment of installment uh, on the mortgages be deferred by a month, and in the worst case scenario for a quarter. So that is one. Second, uh, it has announced some of the immediate relief packages Uh, that is basically aimed at the people uh, who are daily wage earners for their living. So that is second. Third, they are now mobilizing local governments. It is for the first time after the adoption of the federal structure, for the first time mobilizing the local governments to collect the data of the potential carriers of the coronavirus who have come from outside of those areas or from abroad and also making them the uh, frontline agencies to distribute the relief to the people who have lost the wages and who are facing difficulty in maintaining their day-to-day hand-to-mouth problem. These are the basic, I told you, the policy level kind of uh, initiative. What is exactly lacking, for example, is the centralized monitoring system of the relief which could have been done by a one centralized server so that the people can get the relief from anywhere in the country. So now if the one has to get the relief in the longer run and have to register as eligible to get the relief, either they have to go to their local levels, which is difficult given the lockdown where their permanent address is, or they have to register with the government where they are actually residing. It is not clear what the government plans to do. It is exactly this lack of centralized coordination that prevents many internal Nepali migrant workers from gaining access to government relief packages, as Dr. Banya explains. Especially the local governments in coordination and cooperation with the local organizations, they're trying to provide some kind of reliefs But it's very difficult to tell to what extent they've covered uh, all of these people because um, they don't even know the situation and the needs of these workers. So they know, obviously, of the of the situation of their constituencies, but of these workers who are always uh, moving, they don't have the data about these people. And, uh, you know, we have this um, situation here in Nepal. 
if you are the migrant and you are not um, the, the 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 resident of that particular constituency you might be deprived of the uh, facilities uh, or re- even the relief so there are these uh, reports um, in the newspaper coming up that in some of the um, some of the areas the fact that they were um, rentiers they had moved to the cities they were migrant families and the fact that they were the migrant workers the the local governments and the relief providers were quite unwilling to provide um, this support to these people so it's not quite easy to say that you know the, they have been able to reach out to um, the most needy and most vulnerable people there are some um, initiatives from the trade unions they are trying to convince the government that they have to come up with certain kind of plan but uh, yeah it's not uh, yet there while the distribution of relief has not yet reached many people in need dr wagler further adds that also the other government measures that have been taken so far are not a cure all and need to be examined on the second part of this interest rate mortgage relief reduce 1% of interest rate these are just a symbolic which is not going to have a very fundamental impact to contain the downward slide of the downward spiral of the economy it is because you cannot put all size of the entrepreneurs and the borrowers in a single basket and announce the policies okay you can defer for two or three months of repayment you, you don't know what happens after that so at least the government policy must be focused on four different categories of borrowers the small cottage industries and uh, small and medium industries which are uh, based on the self employment mainly the borrower of the microfinance institutions like 1 or 2000 dollars and doing some small businesses they need a real push there is a second type of middle level borrowers some producers processors of the food grains traders this two or three months window may be helpful for them and then uh, the government don't need to give this much of the leverage to the very big borrowers who are borrowing in billions and who are the large industrialists who have the capacity to pay back at least for three four five installments so what is happening actually is uh, even the large borrowers are getting this facility who are able to grease the economy by repayment of those installment they are also getting the facility but the the facility announced by the government for the low level may not be reaching to them that that the situation and the fourth category is the large projects like the hydropower and infrastructure which takes uh, for a project to complete 18 years so i think um, those four categories of the uh, economic activities need very specific kind of mechanism to address their specific kind of problems another maintenance of the supply chain which is going to be very very critical i think uh, there is already a very much demand and uh, supply asymmetry and then the uh, the economy is going to uh, function in the much lower equilibrium both in terms of supply and demand one reason is the uh, the urban demand is going to go down because most of the temporary residents have gone out of the big cities including kathmandu pokhara biratnagar due to the huge uncertainty the second part is the supply uh, the, the demand itself is low and the supply is also low because i i said the uh, the goods uh, even the vegetables fruits milk product come from india uh, even the the feed the poultry is coming from india 
has become uh, very much shrunken uh, in terms of volume. Uh, only limited volume is coming in. So these are the aspects the government now need to look into. And one additional strategy uh, that is uh, not only for Nepal, for every economy perhaps needed is not to wait for the pandemic to be over. We need to simultaneously plan to learn to live with the coronavirus. The government now needs to look into the possibility of using lockdown in the spectrum to plan for the economy when lockdown is lifted how it, it wants to start, what are the areas it wants to initiate first, and how it, it is going to uh, maintain and undertake the safety measures. Maintain, in a sense, what has already been in place and undertake what new measures you need to take. For example, when you open the public transportation, you might need several extra security measures to contain the spread of the uh, virus. And then not only the spread of the virus, so on the economic side as well, the government must come out with the purse, the stimulus package. You can announce that, okay, everybody should not die of hunger uh, because government has announced some relief package, uh, some uh, food aid programs, some food distribution in certain corners of a city, but that is not going to be enough. So there has to be a very ubiquitous kind of planning that covers all affected people, all vulnerable people. That's one part. And then the the government must start to invest in the health infrastructure, thinking that this virus and other kind of diseases that Nepali people are suffering for centuries get treatment at their local level hospitals, local level health facilities. That has never been the case. It is also an opportunity in a sense that at present there is very limited possibility of investing the government budget in any other areas. So the government can think of making the investment in health infrastructure as a driver of the economic engine in terms of growth. The growth can come from um, the investment in the health infrastructure and the health services. So these are uh, the uh, immediate thoughts that we can start with. But uh, we, we probably need a longer term horizon. Every country might need that in view of the situation that coronavirus may, uh, the transmission may reduce, but the economic impact of it on all three, four aspects of productivity, employment generation, international finance, and the international trade is uh, not going to be uh, the same uh, in very short period of time. Probably we are going to see a completely different world in, in post-corona era. Dr. Banya also adds that while long-term government plans are essential, cooperation with private employers is equally important to minimize unemployment. There should be some um, kind of emergency plans, but also I would say that there should be um, the long-term plan, medium and long-term plan as well. For that, the most important aspect would be to come up with a plan to re retain them in their employment. And then there should be investment and reinvestment in the sectors that these people had been working. So there is sort of need for the collaboration between employers and the government as well. While we have so far mainly focused on the national level, I went on to ask Dr. Wagler about regional differences in the economic impacts. Because even though Nepal is a relatively small country, spanning only around 150,000 square kilometers, it is known for its extreme diversity in terms of climate and ecology, culture and ethnicities, but also livelihoods and economic activities. That is a very good question. 
in fact uh, the the inequality has very badly exposed even during this pandemic we have got very terrible stories of people walking for 15 days from kathmandu to a city that is uh, 800 kilometers away from kathmandu just because they don't have means to eat in in, in bigger cities like kathmandu so they the vulnerables are more seriously exposed that is one kind of dichotomy between haves and have nots second type is the regional kind of disparity in terms of economic capability and unfortunately the possible transmission of the virus seems to be very much going to be in the areas of far west and the kanali provinces the two most backward provinces of the country in terms of the revenue income and in terms of all other economic like uh, human development index literacy everything if you look at the revenue income or contribution of the province number 6 it is barely 1% of the national revenue income same with the like 2 about 2% from the far west what we are seeing is the, the economy themselves are heavily dependent on the federal grants and other kind of sources so the the socio economic conditions are very bad the literacy rate the education system uh, the socio economic indicators that that are plaguing these regions are going to be hard hit not only because of the potential extra danger of uh, transmission but also the generation of employability within them as i mentioned about uh, half a million people from these two regions were in india maybe in the seasonal employment uh, something kind of a permanent employment but when these people come back there is hardly anything to do there are no industries they 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 live in a very um, infertile sort of terrain not suitable for the agriculture and there is already over kind of burden on the agriculture in terms of sustaining the uh, productivity farming peasantry kind of thing and the no regardless of the areas the the population the economic inequality income inequality of the population is also going to be manifested where the have nots are going to be affected more severely than the haves it is the lack of opportunities and secure livelihoods in many districts of nepal that causes thousands of people to leave the country every year to seek work abroad in countries such as Qatar, Kuwait and Bahrain and the Gulf region, South Korea and Malaysia and East and Southeast Asia and also in India. This is an enormous contribution to the Nepali economy. Nepal ranks 5th among the countries receiving the highest share of remittances as a percentage of GDP, with 29% of the national GDP coming from money earned abroad. But lockdowns and border closures both in Nepal and in the destination countries have suddenly brought labor migration to a standstill. you can imagine that it plays very crucial role in the macro and uh, micro economy of the countries but uh, i don't know whether you've been through some of the recent uh, reports published by ilo that estimates that these regions are also going to experience about 50 million full time job loss where these nepali migrant workers have been largely for the employment i can clearly see that uh, that will have big into the remittances that uh, nepal receives in the days to come and uh, another uh, challenge is that most of the sectors that have been impacted by the covid-19 are the sectors where uh, many nepalis have been like construction transportation service hotel industries and things like that 
So if that dries up, uh, and then obviously there will be unprecedented impacts on the macro and microeconomics of the country. And since majority of the households in uh, Nepal are uh, receiving uh, remittance and their livelihood has been supported by the remittance, there will be huge uh, household level implications. I also asked Dr. Wagler about the impact of the remittance flow. One uh, immediate impact would be on foreign currency earnings. So even it has already started to go down. In seven months' time, we received about uh, 513 billion rupees, which is about uh, $4.5 billion from the remittances. So that is going to dry up completely, I guess, because all the destination countries, all, all the sources of remittances where um, these people work are also greatly impacted. And uh, particularly in the Gulf countries where the well oil price has gone so drastically down and their economy are also going to be shrunk in a great deal. And that may cause a sort of layoff of all those workers. Now, this temporary halt to labor migration not only interrupts remittance flows, it also means that millions of Nepalis who are currently abroad and have been laid off by their employers will return to Nepal and enter the domestic labor market. But the process of this repatriation is not yet clear. There are serious concerns about uh, migrant workers. So the discussions are going in around uh, whether and how the government of Nepal can protect them. They're also concerned about how they can uh, return and how that can be facilitated. But uh, in the part of the government, as of today, uh, they're quite uh, reluctant to opt for the repatriation. So um, groundwork and the preparation, uh, necessary preparation has to be um, done, even if uh, the government decides to patriot them. It hasn't decided yet, but there is pressure building on that. In uh, the migrant workers in uh, in some of the nation countries where they are in at most uh, risk should be repatriated. And then um, from the migrant network society and other relevant stakeholders, they are also advocating that the government of Nepal should respect and guarantee the, their rights to return. This right to return was recently underlined by the Supreme Court of Nepal that ordered the Nepali government in an interim order passed on 17th of April to bring back Nepali migrant workers that are stranded abroad. But we are yet to see how the Nepali government is going to facilitate this. And until then, workers stuck abroad are battling with various challenges, as Dr. Vanya explains. There has been growth in the number of people transmitted with the COVID-19. And in some of the countries, uh, Nepali migrant workers themselves have been infected. So in the recent uh, weeks, there are news reports coming up saying that in some of the countries like Qatar, Saudi Arabia, where they have locked down some of the areas, factories, uh, migrant workers have been um, grappling with a lot of problems, including pay cord. Uh, they've been laid off from the job. In some of the uh, areas, they've been also asked to work, even if the situation is not that uh, good. In some some of the factories, uh, Nepali migrant workers, they were uh, reporting that they already feeling the shortage of food. And some of the migrant workers have been also uh, reporting through different platforms that uh, the hygiene situation, uh, living arrangement is uh, quite uh, risky. Yeah, they've been facing these challenges. 
On the other hand, it seems like they're also deprived of adequate information about the support uh, that are available around. The limitations with access to information also poses a lot of challenges to these migrant workers. And these access is also limited by the language in most of these destination countries. And in relations to the access to information, there were some reports that about 40 Nepali migrant workers were deported from Qatar when they were out for shopping. Had they had proper information about the lockdowns, they wouldn't have obviously gone out for the shopping. So these kind of challenges are still there. And recently, I have also been uh, hearing and reading that some of the state authorities have also started discriminating migrant workers in terms of treating in the, the, the COVID situation. And so in some of the countries, migrant workers, despite the fact that they're not willing to work in, in under the situation, they've been sort of forced to work. So there is forced labor situation going on as well. And we don't know about what's happening with the domestic workers, especially those in the irregular situation. That's something nobody knows. And last point I would like to point out here is that there is going to be huge issue about access to justice, whether and how they're going to have um, access to justice uh, or not. So I, I've been saying that the, the, the issue of migrant workers in these kind of situation is rather the issue of human rights rather than mere labor rights. I'm also kind of uh, seeing that a lot of countries, 153 countries in the world came together to come up with some kind of agreement on the Global Compact for Migration, GCM, which was adopted in uh, Maracas 2018, where if you go through uh, 24 different objectives and the commitments that the 143 countries have made in terms of protection and the promotion of the rights of the migrant workers, uh, this is uh, the testing time, I would say. Any government, if it cannot help protect the rights and human rights of migrant workers in these kind of situations. Uh, I think there is a big questions against these kind of instruments that we agree on. It's useless if we don't implement these framework and the commitment that we've expressed in the international forum like this. But despite this long list of current and future challenges that Nepalis at home and abroad are to face, both speakers point out that some challenges can be turned into opportunities especially when it comes to the returning migrant workers. When the working age people come home, they need to find some kind of gainful employment in the economy. Even if they go back to their villages, they need to reinvent the wheel of uh, working with the, with the agricultural enterprises, the farming, the fisheries, the poultry, other kind of products like the uh, cereal crops, cash crops, fruits. So they, they need to reinvent. Probably this is also an opportunity for them if they have learned any additional skills to start their own entrepreneurship in the, in the villages. That is also an opportunity. But uh, again, coming back to uh, the, at the government level, we need to have a very meticulous planning to be able to address these needs and the proper evaluation of the situation, what works and what does not. So I, I not only see a very pessimistic scenario because uh, so far we have complained that uh, our agricultural sector is in a problem not being able to produce as much as we should have been just because we didn't have agricultural levels due to outmigration of working as population. Now they have uh, come back to the villages. 
their own villages. And the revival, as I see, of the economies uh, in the global scale needs at least six months, seven months, one year time, and there will be uh, even lag effect in uh, several other kind of uh, fiscal years of uh, different economies. So this should also be an opportunity for the government to look into the possibilities where Nepali economy can actually intervene. Similarly, Dr. Banya adds, I was also hoping that these kind of situation could also create opportunities at home. We have this productive youths in, in various destination countries, and after they return, they would come up with certain kind of capital, at least the social remittance. So that could be uh, utilized in the labor market of Nepal. But if the environment that it requires is not created, then it might have some kind of adverse stress. So we can expect both some prospect as well as challenges. So concluding this analysis, Dr. Wagler points out that attention must not only be paid to the economy. The developed world, not only to Nepal, the developed worlds need to look into uh, more generously to the problems uh, of Nepal and uh, need to support to uh, sort of reinitiate the, the economic activities in the economy. That is one thing. Another, I would say, is we need to look into the impending governance crisis, which is very critical because the nature of the government we have is not very forthcoming to accept um, the critical views. Uh, even even they may be very constructive, they are not willing to uh, listen to the knowledgeable and informed people. So uh, also has to be kept uh, a big vigil, I guess. So uh, not only the economic and the health crisis, the impending governance crisis should also be taken into consideration. And with this very clear message, I'd like to end today's episode and thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Music